We don't have a problem with Muslims. I make it very clear. But what's being allowed to operate in this town, what I've seen, um, my friend's dad was murdered, knifed in the head in front of his child. His child was my age, 11 years old. My cousin was a victim who was taken by these gangs and raped and prostituted. And then she climbed back out the window to get back to them for a drug fix at the age of 13 and 14. And all the police would say is she's a drug addict. Now she's a child who's been targeted. Yeah? So I'd seen all these things. I organized my first protest, Bandaloo Taliban. I stood up in the town center and I read out my leaflet and said to the police, we've had enough of the, the, the heroin, we've had enough of the violence, we've had enough of the terrorism. We've done a homecoming parade after 12 months to Luton. It cost them two million pounds to police it. Yeah? I said, I can guarantee you. I know Theresa May sitting at the time as uh, Home Secretary probably watching these live events, okay? This is big. They cannot ignore it much longer. They have made me successfully, they've done a campaign to make me toxic too toxic to even talk to. The reason they've done that is because they feared the ability I had to galvanise people together. The ability I had to get numbers of people active. Uh, more, we could get more people active than any political party could. Yeah? We get more people out on the streets than any political party could. So they, and, they, and they didn't like that. I've got two injunctions now from courts. I'm not allowed to tell you or show you evidence I have. I'm not allowed to show you covertly recorded footage I have that prove corruption that prove people are being paid to remain silent. Governments are paying people not to talk. If we don't do so now, if we don't stop what's happening, then the next generation, which is all of our children, they're gonna be slaves. They're gonna be victims. They're gonna be in fear. And if someone has to fight, I wanna fight. We have to stand and make a change. But that was always about Islam. Where we're at now, I don't, I don't, crazily for a lot of people, I don't see Islam as the biggest threat to all of us. I see government tyranny. And madly, I keep saying, I see Muslims being our allies in fighting this. Yes, people, welcome back to Karen TV. Today, delighted to have a very special guest, um, award-winning journalist, political prisoner, politician, um, someone who's quite thought-provoking, very articulate. Um, without further ado, we are with Tommy Robinson. Tommy, how are you doing, my friends? I'm good, thank you. And how would you describe yourself? Uh, well, you'd have triggered a few with that description. <laughs> I describe myself now, I'm an activist, I'm a journalist, um, yeah, free speech activist and a journalist. Indeed. And a hooligan. <laughs> and you can list about 10 other things if you go on my Wikipedia page. Of course. Oh, I, I did go through it. Uh, Ignore Wikipedia. Don't believe what you read. Of course. I think that's the case with uh, most people's Wikipedia, isn't it? Yeah. You can add what you want to it, can't you? Yeah. But, um, but um, obviously, it's first time on the channel, so I want to go back slightly and um, ask you sort of what made you go on the path that you did in terms of the activism and all this sort of stuff. I know you were brought up in a very multicultural place yeah. um, in Luton. So, I, yeah, I was brought up, brought up in Luton. Um, I'd seen a lot of wrongs and I tried to work them out as a child. I still remember going to school. When I first went to my high school, um, that's when I first experienced a lot of Pakistanis and the way they divided themselves and separated themselves and sort of a, peck, a pack mentality that I hadn't seen, hadn't experienced, didn't understand it. And then I was just growing up because... You mess with one, you might as well call on war with the whole tribe. They come from everywhere. Yeah? You mess with a child at school when you're 13, 
there's 20 men outside the school gates. This was only with the Pakistani community. So that was my experience. I didn't class them as Muslims at that age at all. There wasn't a lot of talk of Muslims. They were Pakistanis and they were very different to us and they were very hostile, aggressive. Of course, before, as I go on, I'm, I'm talking in a per se sense because some of them were great as well. And I got, I, I actually, even the main gang lads I was friends with because they were similar to me yeah, in my upbringing. Um, but what I experienced then, just little things like I was going out with a girl called Charlotte. My friend Cameron was going out with a girl called Lisa. Cameron's dad turned up at Lisa's house. Lisa rang up Charlotte crying and saying that he, they can never be together. This can't happen. And the whole family are crying. And I was thinking, what's all that about? What do you mean they can't be together? Why can't they be together? As kids, I was only 12 at that time. And the dads were, and then they all become threatening and aggressive for the family because the daughter was in a relationship and she wasn't allowed to be as a non-Muslim with a Muslim. So I very so just little things that I experienced. And then we talk about when September the 11th happened in Luton at our local shops, we had Magnificent 19 posters plastered everywhere. I remember getting phone calls from my friends who were at the college at sixth form saying, they're all cheering. There's cheering and celebrations. Then they've done a big march through the town on the one-year anniversary celebrating September 11th. So to many people, this seems absurd. This seems un unthinkable. If you go on my Oxford Union speech, when I give a speech at Oxford University, I showed all the evidence of this. Yeah? I showed the posters actually on the shops where we tore them down. So when, when September 11th happened, there was a lot of wake-up calls for me. The biggest wake-up call was the Beslan Massacre. The Beslam School Massacre was, it was in Russia and it, uh, Chechnya, and it was where Islamic radicals had took over a school with hundreds of young children. The parents had all come outside the school gates, and you can watch this, I remember watching it, and it, it was the moment that changed everything for me. I remember watching it, and as the parents were outside and the police holding them back, the army are there, the kids are all inside, and you can hear them screaming as they're being butchered. So they're murdering all the children, and the parents are standing outside with their hands on their heads and they're screaming. They're trying to get through the police lines to get to their kids. And I remember thinking, what, what could drive someone to go and massacre children? Not one person. This isn't a lone attack. This was a big group of Islamic jihadis. And then, so I saw that. It awoken me. And three weeks later, or a couple of weeks later, I saw a YouTube video of some Pakistani Muslims in a chicken shop in Luton saying that an attack like that would be justified on an English school. And I remember looking, thinking, who is this dude? Yeah, I found out his name was Saif al-Islam, Sword of Islam. There's a famous video, he hits me through the car window. Sword of Islam, that's his name. And I looked at him, and at that point, I looked at who he was, I looked at who the group were. They were members of Al-Majrahin, Al and they're, they're, a, now, they're now a prescribed terrorist organization, but they never were. Their head office, Omar Bakri, Abu Hamza, you know, all the main terrorists, their organization's head office was on Biscuit Road in my town where I live, you know, where my friends live, where our families live. And I remember looking at this group thinking, and that this group used to stand outside Don Miller's Bakery every Saturday, and they would recruit. And they were in our national newspapers openly celebrating the fact that they were sending people to fight against British Armed Forces abroad. So I looked at this group, I looked at where the head office was, and I thought, we've got to do something about this. Like, this cannot be allowed. So I organised my first ever protest, and it was called Ban the Loot and Taliban. And it was in 2000 and... 2004, 2003. Yeah. It's banned the Luton Taliban. And I've done it as a group of football lads. For, they're outside Don Miller's. Not this Saturday. No, they're not. Yeah, We're coming. So I went around the town. 
I made leaflets, and these leaflets, again, they're in my Oxford Union speech. And if you read these leaflets and you listen to what I say now, nothing's changed. Yeah? I talk about racist attacks and religious attacks against whites and blacks yeah, being committed in our town. I talk about our young daughters being prostituted and pimped by paedophile drug dealing gangs. So this was before any talk of the grooming gangs. Yeah, I lay it out in the leaflet and I say we don't have a problem with Muslims. I make it very clear. But what's being allowed to operate in this town that I've seen um, my friend's dad was murdered, knifed in the head in front of his child. His child was my age, 11 years old. My cousin was a victim who was taken by these gangs and raped and prostituted. And then she climbed back out the window to get back to them for a drug fix at the age of 13 and 14. And all the police would say is she's a drug addict. Now, she's a child who's been targeted. Yeah? So I'd seen all these things. I organised my first protest, Bandaloot Taliban. I stood up in the town centre and I read out my leaflet and said to the police, we've had enough of the, the, the heroin, we've had enough of the violence, we've had enough of the terrorism. Um, and the knock-on, the, the effect of that was, it wasn't the jihadis that were after me. I named a gang called the Gambino Gang. Uh, there's a hundred strong Pakistani mafia in Luton who deal with the Al-Qaeda. It's, it's been in national newspapers. I know a lot of them, yeah? Went to school with some of them, yeah? But this mob, enforce criminality linked with funding Islamic extremism in my town. So I named them. <laughs> and I was a young, what was I, 21, 22? Man, they all come for me after that. So I was a young, and at that time I was a young football hooligan. I was, that, that, that was what I grew up and I aspired crazily. So a lot of my family members, my uncles, my cousins were members of Luton. They formed Luton's Men in Gear. It's a football hooligan out, um, group. And I, as a young lad, that's what I gravitated towards. To, and I think it was a bit of a search for an identity. I was brought up in a town where white English are a minority. My mum was Irish. Um, my stepfather, who, who is my dad, who brought me up, was Scottish. I guess I was searching a bit for my own identity. I found it at football. It's easily done as a teenage boy, though, isn't it, when you are searching for yourself, all the tribalism and if you with them. Yeah. With it, it's, a... it's a similar person that converts to Islam. Yeah. yeah? It's a similar sort of... Because you, you're at that age, and, and remember, in Luton, and these are things... Celebrating St. George's Day was banned, yeah? They sent out letters to schools, do not bring in emblems of St. George, uh, or you'll be suspended from school. Now, when Pakistan won the cricket, they're all bringing Pakistani flags into schools. There's, the teachers are all celebrating. But St. George's Day, it was always felt like it, we were suppressed with, with, with part of your identity. And that made, I guess it makes people rebel. But I was searching for that. And I found it at football. So I organised this demonstration Gangs come after me after that. We sort of fought a bit of a battle as young football lads for for years after that with a lot of the gang, the drug gangs um, because I guess we were the only non-Muslim group that would stand up and could get the numbers to stand up. And then comes 2009, which was, I'd say this changed my life, but 2009, it was a soldier's homecoming parade in Luton. The Royal Anglians, a Scot, uh, one boy Scott, because only young, he died from the estate I'm from um, in that regiment. Another boy who I know very well lost his legs, only, not, only 18 at the time, 19 maybe, 18, 19, lost his legs. And they were given the, 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 they were the parade for our city and they, they come under attack by this group, this same group, who still at 2009, they weren't prescribed. They weren't a terrorist. 60% of terrorists in jail now were ex-members of this group. This group were given free reign to radicalise and recruit in my town. Yeah? We stood up against them.
That's basically it. And, and we stood up against him in 2009. And, and that's why I used a fake name, Tommy Robinson. The press may have told you my name is actually Stephen Yaxley Leonard. Yeah, they keep like it's like to remind me, but it was it was that reason that I used a different name because I just got through. I was young and up for a battle. So when those gangs wanted it, we were up for it. Yeah, move forwards. I'm now a father. It's 2009. My life's on track. I've got successful businesses between me and my my wife at the time or my partner at the time. We had seven properties. We're doing very well. Yeah. I didn't need the I didn't need all that clashing again. So 2009 comes, I wear a mask and I use a fake name, and I stand up. And the soldiers' homecoming parade happened. Soldiers come under attack, called, but they spat in one of the soldiers' mum's faces. And for me that day, we know who they are. I know how they think. Every one of them, I know them. Yeah. It wasn't the fact that they'd done it. It was the fact that they were facilitated and accommodated to do it. The police knew they were going to do it. No one stopped them. Every leaf, every mosque in, in, in Berry Park and Luton was leafleted. No one came out to stop them. No one came out to oppose them. Yeah? So when I saw them, and they actually got took through our town hall. Think of that. They, were, they are, they are Al-Qaeda. They are the Nazis of the millennium. That's who they are. Yeah? And they were taken. I remember standing watching. I remember turning up for Soul's homecoming with my cousin, Tuesday morning. I think it was a Tuesday. Just turned up to show our respects. And I remember looking and seeing police everywhere, thinking, what's going on? And then I looked across to see about 20 women in burkas all together, all niqabs. And then as I look around, I start spotting the radical, the jihadist. So there he is, because we know him all. There he is. One of them, Roger, Ibrahim Anson, he's now, he's done jail time for ISIS. He was one of my old mates. Before he converted in jail, he's in for an armed robbery. So I see all of them all. I thought, what's going on? And I thought, they're going to attack it. And what you don't know is there's about 80 of them. But only about 15. Would, so they're taken through the town hall. So go right in front of our soldiers, from me to the you now in the camera, they put them in front of our armed forces as they march past. Now, I, now just a hypocrisy in it, because if I ever protest, organise protests against the mosque or anything, you're not even allowed to have been sight of it. Yeah? They were, they were, and the problem was, in, in that year, in 2009, they'd never been told no. The council had never said no. The government had never said no. Since the Bradford riots, the concessions given to the Islamic community on everything, because of the fear and intimidation that the government have from them, through the threat of rioting and the threat of violence and the fear of being called racist and diversity is our strength and all this bullshit yeah, is what uh, what paralysed our authorities in dealing with lots of problems from rape of children to terrorism to integration, all these things. They actually encourage segregation. They encourage them to say, yes, you can have your own Baghdad here. No, you can't. OK, there's no integration, no assimilation. So all these things went on. Soldiers' homecoming parade, um, and that was the day it changed my life. If I'm honest, totally, because from that point on, my life changed. I stood up, um, stood up, and I remember at the time, I spoke to my cousin Kevin, uh, who was with me the whole way through, and I remember we shook hands and said, "You can't go into this one foot." Yeah, we know what we're up against here. We know who we're up against. I've, I've previously experienced it. But when they done it to the soldiers that night, we met up and said, I said, they've just attacked our armed forces in our town centre. They've just spat in their faces. Police have let them do it and they've turned their batons on us. So um, we said, if we don't do something now, then what's next? A soldier's funeral? They're going to turn up at a soldier's funeral. They, they have done the utter disrespect of, of the group of people that we hold dear, with the highest respect and high regard in our country, other than our mothers or our daughters. It's our armed forces. And they've just absolutely took liberties. Mm. And so we decided then. We shook hands and said, if we go in and we go in, in 
because we um, and I and if I hadn't had Kev next to me, and Kev didn't have me next to him, and never would have been that, had the courage to do it. I don't think. I think because we knew we're together in whatever we face here. Yeah. Then we could constantly speak to each other if they're threatening me, they're threatening him, and that spiraled. Uh, and what we started as the United people looting, it wasn't English Defence League, it was a looting issue. We started trying to tackle what was going on in Luton, and quickly it spread like a wildfire across the whole nation to become the phenomenon that was the English Defence League. Um, yeah. Crazy, crazy times. Yeah, so there's obviously quite the journey up until that point there. So it literally went from a sort of Football hooligan stuff, then patriotism and seeing bad stuff going on in your community under your own eyes. And the, the first ever UPL demo was a, a community. It wasn't hooligans. It was community. So I organised it. So uh, my aunties were there. And what the police done. So they've, they've attacked our troops. They then banned St George's Day because of tensions. Yeah, There was meant to be a parade. There was meant to be all children's celebrations. They banned it all. Right? This was straight afterwards. So I'm reading the paper thing and see so you've banned our national day now. Banned our identity, the chance to celebrate who we are. That's been banned because of these lot. They've attacked our troops. You've let them do it. So I set up a petition. The petition was calling for ASBOs to make sure that these terrorists, because that's what they are, all of them are now convicted terrorists, yeah? All that group. Right? These terrorists are giving ASBOs, preventing them from standing in our town centres on a recruitment drive. And we went into a town centre. I, I got 3,500 uh, signatures, contacted the council, wouldn't meet us, wouldn't talk to us. Yeah. No one cared, right? They didn't care. They weren't worried by us. At that point, I thought, right, we'll have a demonstration and we'll march with the petition. So I get all, the, all the, uh, I get all of the community. We all come to the town centre, women, children, prams, everything. And the police block us on horseback and they don't let us get to the war memorial. So the war memorial that they let them get to, they spat in our soldiers' faces, you're not letting us get to, to show our respects today. Yeah, And they kettled us for three hours. And as they killed us, my auntie had to urinate in the street. I remember thinking, now they wouldn't do this to Muslim women. They would never have made them urinate in the street. Yeah? They didn't care about us. And not just they didn't care about us, but the way of policing was so two-tier in their community, our community. They then drew their batons. They knocked my little mate, Isa, a little black lad. He had his teeth knocked down by a kosh. We, and I videoed it. I paid, a, I paid a wedding cameraman £450 to video that day because I knew what they'd do. Yeah, I knew, and I wanted the world to see the treatment we receive. So there's a video. They come up to us in the street. They fire us up against the wall. We're all in the town centre. And they start putting their hands in, their, in our pockets. They make us take our shoes off. They're searching us. And I said, you didn't do this to them. I was there. You didn't put your hands on them. They come out and attack our soldiers. You didn't treat them like this. So why are you treating us like this? And then that first day, so when they kettled us, and they beat us with batons, and the horses charged us, I remember that after that day, I've said it many times, you could have lit a match and that town would have blown up. The anger amongst everyone was like, no. And, and I'm, I'm saying, you're not doing this. You're not getting away with this, yeah? So that was the first protest, which they basically kettled, they stopped. They didn't let us get to War Memorial. So I planned another one. And, it, and two days after the first one, 14 dawn raids. Now, one of the house I went to was mine, yeah? So, and they picked someone from each estate, pretty much, and it's to put fear into the rest of the estate. So they come to mind. I weren't there. They've they've arrested all the lads they have arrested. They then give them bail conditions. But what, they, what was they arresting you for? Uh, it's public order, right? No charges were brought, okay? But they arrested everyone and they give them bail conditions. Your bail condition was you can't enter the town centre for the next three months, right? So what we've done is ask you to do to them, right? So we've asked you to give them bail conditions, to, to prevent them in our town centre. You've nicked us, yeah? I remember going, so at that point then, we said, no, it's not happening, yeah? And, and I organised another demonstration three weeks later. It was the next bank holiday. 
we've done it on the May bank holidays. Next bank holiday, and this time, and there was a lot of talk. People were wanting to make petrol bombs. People were wanting. The town was ready to blow. I mean, like rival rival estates that hate each other were all coming together. Yeah, and I went around all the different estates talking to everyone, saying, "Listen, we have to do something." Yeah, because the way we're being treated here, what the police think they can do to us, yeah. they they has to be a backlash to it. And that's when the balaclavas come out. And the balaclavas come out. I went and got balaclavas. I bought fifty balaclavas, hundred balaclavas. I bought t-shirts. And, and had the EDL be created at this point here? No, yeah, no, no, still, still supply, UPL, yeah. still UPL. And I set up a YouTube channel called Luton Protest. You can go watch it now. The original videos are all on there. You can see them. You can see the first one, calm families. We got under attack. The second one. We're not coming under attack. That's the mentality, yeah? And literally 500 men turned up. And it was just a mob of 500 men, maybe more than 500. I gave the balaclavas out from when we met in the morning, because I had a balaclava on, because I was wanted. They, I had a warrant out for my arrest from the first one, for nothing. They dropped it, yeah? So, so we've done this. I hand out all the balaclavas, and they try it again. The police try it. All we want to do is get to War Memorial. And then there's a charge, and everyone runs like a mob through the town. There's chaos that day. Chaos, helicopters are out, riot police are out. And, um, and I remember ringing the police beforehand, and I said to the police, I rang on anonymously, because I was using a fake name. I rang up, I said, I need to speak to the police about what's going on today in town. I, said, I basically said, if you don't let us get to the War Memorial, I'm telling you, the town's going to burn. Yeah? So there's a lot of anger. I'm speaking as a representative of what's going on. There are people wanting to cause a lot of damage in uh, and it's not aimed at the Muslims, yeah? it's aimed at you lot, because yeah. of the way you're policing this. And a lot of police threatened to walk out, because the police were told, and, and we, we, we know the local police, we're, we're from the town, they had to get Met Police in, because the police didn't want to deal with the second one, they had to bring the Met in, because Luton Police went in with badges saying support our troops, and they sent them home. But even, even the Met Police, to just quickly interject, yeah. this... What happens and the directions come from up above. Yeah. Because very quickly, I was talking to one of my friends who's very high up in the Met Police last night, and he's a massive fan of yours. Yeah. But they will still have to do as they're told, and these directions come from above. But do you think it was the way that they tried to control everything that added fuel to the fire? Totally obviously? added fuel to it. And the police were upset. Because the police told, were told they can't wear these badges and say support our troops, and they said, no, we're wearing them. 60 of them got up to walk out. When they had their big briefings, they said, no, we're wearing them. Because yeah, the police were made to look like they were supporting the jihadists on the day, local police. At that point, then the police have said, "We're not policing this." If you because the way you want us to police it, so they brought them in. Yeah? Yeah. They brought them in to smash us, basically. Yeah. At that point, Luton police were, and then Luton police. It went round the radio because I know a police officer, and he said that there was Muslim cars driving around, and they were told any groups of white males in cars, yeah, any groups of white males in town centre, grab them, search them. So a radio through went through from the copper saying, "We've got safe Islam." And that in the car, the Muslim group was said, don't pull them. And the police and Luke, so the police are telling us this. We've got directives we're not allowed to pull them. We've got directives that we're not allowed to do this, and we're told to come down on you lot. So this is going on. The police, and I, I said, the police aren't our enemy. We try to say that to you. You're not our enemy. We know it's the way you're being forced to do it. But this is now about equal rights. Yep. And that was the United People of Luton. And on the second demonstration, it blew up onto the world's news because of the balaclavas, because you had 500 men at the town hall. You had, you had potential riots going off with the police. You had all this. And I paid a, I went then and I put on, I took the video and I went on lots sort of football group messaging boards saying Luton have decided to make a stand. Luton have decided to make a stand. It's time we stood up in this country. It's time we've done this. And, um, and, 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 and Al-Majuddin, the terrorist group, weren't there. They weren't there the next Saturday. They weren't there the next Saturday, yeah? And then the tech, obviously tensions were boiling, but, uh, and then this same group, they were calling, they're doing an Islamic roadshow 
So they'd left Luton attacking our troops. They'd then done one in Wood Green. So we went down there in the back of a van, about 50, 60 Luton lads. And we confronted that. It stopped their roadshow. And then they were, then they were, then I missed, we missed one and they'd done one in Birmingham. And they had a big banner that read Jesus was a Muslim. And there's hundreds of them. And there's a little white boy called Sean. You can watch the video. Again, it's in Mark's reunion speech. They get him up on stage. They say, repeat after me, repeat after me. That this little 11-year-old boy and his friend are out shopping in the town centre and they convert him to Islam in the middle of the town centre. And they're all cheering Allah Akbar. And they've not been converted to Islam by some spiritual Sufi sect of Islam, some really nice, like, Amadeya, peaceful sect of Islam. They've been converted by jihadist terrorists. Yeah? And I remember going, like, if a Muslim child was put up on stage in the town centre, age 11, and converted to Christianity, yeah, without his parents' knowledge, there would be riots. And the politicians would be speaking about it. They'd be condemning it and they'd be making sure this doesn't happen again. I remember watching it and I thought, well, let's see what happens. And not one person said anything. So we took the group of Luton. I said, this is now a national issue. We need to go to Birmingham, lads. So we decided, put up, we're going to Birmingham. And we moved from Luton to Birmingham. We gave ourselves the name the English Defence League and we got absolutely bad, basically. They come out, they, uh, they came out in their hundreds yet yeah, and they smashed everyone. They smashed innocent people at bus stops. They jumped on their heads. I remember that, and, and this was what it woke me to the media because there was a white boy. He went with us wearing a green top, and there's a, he's on the floor, he's unconscious, and they're all jumping on his head. And the picture reads, "A fascist." This is the Daily Mail. Yeah, a fascist is attacked by anti-fascists. I remember reading it like an innocent boy is being violently beaten because he's white. You're calling him the fascist. You're calling them the anti-fascist. They're the victims of this. And um, and but no one spoke about why we were there. No one spoke about Sean. Even our first placards in Luton when we were the UPL, we had uh, National Front go to hell. We chased the National Front for the second demonstration. National Front turned up. I remember sit, we sat down in a pub in the town centre. This is when we were all mobbing up, Luton's, all Luton's main lads. And I sat down and um, this big white lad sat next to me. He goes, oh, who, who's organised? I said, I'm organising it today. He goes, oh, don't worry, 20 National Front just got off the train station. I said, you see when they get here, bruv? He went, yeah, I said, they're fucking dead, mate. And he went, what? He'd come from Barnet. He said, what? I said, look around this pub. Yeah, you got what? You got blacks, you got Indian kids in here. Yeah, that's what Luton is. Luton's football culture, Luton's football identity, we're everyone, yeah. So I said, uh, we're gonna smash them when they turn up. And then he got up, went out, the police jumped on him when he went out. The police jumped on him when he went out. But then the National Front did turn up, they got run out of town. They got run out of town by Luton's football lads. They got run out of town. So we've never, from the start, we've made it very clear where we stand on them, on Nazis. On of, of course. So from the start, though, um, sorry to interject. So what was the objective of the EDL? What was your, your mission statement? What was... Mm. Originally, our tactics were to get this group and highlight them and whatever they're doing. And then it was about Islamic radicals and sort of... When we went to Birmingham, we got violently beaten. And we had about 50 lads up there and they come from everywhere. But then the pictures of that went all around the nation, all on the newspapers, videos of Muslims chasing lads down the street and beating them up. Our next demonstration was in Manchester. And when we turned up in Manchester, literally 2,000 lads turned up. And that was the start then. I remember thinking, whoa, what have we got here? We've got a, a, a firm and we've got a resistance here. The objectives of the English Defence League was to highlight the problems that I've, I've experienced in Luton and seen the change in Luton. I realised very quickly after talking to people, it's happening everywhere. I realised the rapes against children is happening in every town. I started, because as we grew, we started speaking to people in different towns. So the objectives changed early. What we knew changed early because we started finding, speaking to people in other towns saying they're doing that here, they're grooming girls here, they're abusing children here. All the different things we, I'd seen all the, the, the police inaction that I'd seen, I realised 
and I looked like a blueprint for every tendency. So I realised, and that's why it was such a, that's why so many people just come out, because they've been feeling it, yeah. silenced, can't talk about it, can't highlight it. So no, it, was, it was sort of to... Islamic radicals, highlight, highlight, highlight it. and to target them at all, or to, in any way, just like how we... No, to bring just it, to highlight it, to bring it bring to, it to a forefront. Attention. Make sure Bring it to attention, make sure they can't ignore it anymore. And when you've got three, four, five thousand lads marching through cities, holding up placards, bringing cities to a standstill, I know the police... The, to, to police we done a homecoming parade after 12 months to Luton. It cost them £2 million to police it. Yeah? Yeah. I said, I can guarantee you. I know Theresa May sitting at the time as, as Home Secretary probably watching these live events. Okay, This is big. What we're doing here is big. We are forcing, behind behind doors, in corridors of power, they're talking about us. Yeah, Which means they're talking about what we're talking about. They cannot ignore it much longer. And they won't give us credit for it. But if you draw a graph and you look at the arrest rate, of when grooming started being tackled, English Defence League forms here, it's a straight line, and literally, six months later, boom, through the roof. The police start investigating, yep. start operations, they start tackling them, they start talking about it. Media, Andrew Norfolk was given all the awards, yeah, for highlighting this. He actually says himself, he'd heard about it for years, but he didn't want to, because of, of the difficulty in it being Pakistani men and white girls, he ignored it. So Andrew Norfolk's a coward as a journalist. He ignored it. He's been given all these awards. He says in his own words, he ignored it because he was scared. Yeah? Along come the English Defence League. He wanted to take it back from the far right. So he's a coward. Along come Englishmen who are fed up. And then he wants to even demonise us for standing up and take, back, take it back. So he decided to report on it. Great, great that he did because it, it boomed because he's a middle-class, well-educated toff and that's who they listen to. They hate us. They hate the way we speak. They hate the way we walk. They hate the way we talk. They hate our identity. They, they view us down here. So it took someone and it needed someone with a posh accent to talk about these issues and thankfully they did. Of course. But um, sort of looking back with hindsight, you know, the way that you said the objective was to target the radicals, which is completely understandable, you know, and obviously the government weren't this. But do you think the mission statement should have been something slightly different, maybe for the strength of Britain or sort of to protect Britain or England? And even if it was to target, because they were the problem today, so it was rather than a negative sort of thing, it would be a positive thing in terms of, and obviously we don't know what tomorrow's problems might, might be a different problem yeah. here tomorrow, so it might be able... Yeah, it's only in the name and the way it sort of might have helped it as a way how it's perceived. I think the name. So we we didn't remember. So anyone thinking about it as well, we didn't plan any of this. I was working on a building site. Six months later, I'm leading the biggest street protest movement. So just all organic from what happened in the environment. And, and, and I'm making decisions of what I think's best. That's it. Yeah? Let's do this. Let's go here. What do we do now? Let's pay for... With those first banners, we all chipped in £2,000. We paid for ourselves. Yeah, It was all just let's do this and, and let's target this. And yeah, in hindsight, there's lots of things that would have been better. The name English Defence League, which I do love and I love the history of it. I love the identity they get people. But it meant something different to some. You could stop ten people in English Defence League demonstration. Why are you here? I'm here because I'm fed up with this. Everyone would have a different reason. So it's bringing together lots of people with these different reasons. The media were telling it, telling the public we were saying we weren't. So then it was also attracting. Remember, it's a, we're in we've got a St George's flag. We're an English group. It's going to attract nationalists of the further right. Yeah, it's going to attract lots of people. Yeah? Of it took us two years. Purity comes with time. It took us years to get purity of who we were and get rid of. Different, different ideologies away that weren't welcome with us. But, and I remember Generation Identity done it. They set up and they were for their culture, for their identity. And it's so much easier for people to support if you're for free speech rather than being against. Yeah, we were constantly against at the early times. We're against this, we're against that. And it would have been more accepted, more palatable for people. 
I guess. And um, yeah, but as I said, it wasn't planned. It was all. Of course. There was mistakes made here. There was mistakes made there. There was infiltration from government government bodies. There was undercover people working within the organisation trying to bring fr friction amongst each other. They were trying to split the north, the south, and the, and, and the reason being, simple simple num numbers. 10,000 of us in Luton cost them 2 million to police. If they can break the north, the south, and the east, and, and, and if they can break it into the Midlands, the north, the south, and fragment it, which was they were constantly trying to do. There was constantly calls for it. Yeah? Constant division. If they could do that, then it costs them a lot less to police, a lot less tension, a lot less problems. Um, and then come, we, we run the organisation for six years. I lead it for six years. I'm imprisoned. I, in the first six months of leading that organisation, I had free dawn raids, police coming with machine guns. Yeah. They used ter terrorism legislation to freeze my assets, arrest my pregnant wife. They seized everything, seized my businesses, seized my money, put me on £250 a week. That's all I could spend. So all these tactics come in. Uh, the, the the persecution was early, it was quick, and it was uh, from everywhere. Now, six years later, I left the English Defence League, yeah, because I felt we'd done what we needed to do in that manner. I was young, twenty five. I was I was young, full of energy, full of testosterone, young man, yeah, sure. thinking, no, we're not having this. Get 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 years on. I've got kids and um. I think we're lucky that no one got hurt, seriously hurt. Definitely. There was plans by six Muslims went to jail. They they turned up late to a demonstration. They were going to blow the demonstration up. They got caught with guns, bombs, suicide vests. Um, so, yeah, lots went. But obviously it's easy for us to sort of point fingers at the government, what they're doing wrong, and obviously most of the stuff they do, is I wrong. think, is wrong. Um, but obviously, it's a real difficult issue for them to deal with. Um, so, if you were in the government or you were a politician at that time, how would you have dealt with the radical uh, radicalism problem? They empower, the, yeah. because it's hard to target the whole Muslim community for it, and it is only a small percentage within the Muslim community. Like I said, I've grown up with Muslims all my life. I've got lots of Muslims, and I've never any been to jail, seen Muslims. I've not seen any of the radical sort of stuff. But I didn't grow up in a place Luton. like Luton. Uh, so. Well, they need to. They, they empowered them. They had them sitting around. For, I'll give an example. Yeah, by give, being a soft touch, they empowered by giving them. By giving them positions. Not... They, they empowered them. For example, in Luton, we had an imam called Qadir Basque. He was leader of the Islamic Centre, main imam. We had a Luton in Harmony programme set up in, in opposition to the English Defence League. So Luton in Harmony, pretending the town's in Harmony when it's not. And they give everyone a position. We obviously didn't get a seat at the table. <laughs> but Qadir was one of the main spokesmen. Qadir Basque. So all I've done was I went through his website. And got translations of what it says on his website. Yeah. Women must be punished for adultery. Okay, women must be stoned, lash, lashing for all these things. Yeah, about killing homosexuals. This was the translation. So I'm thinking, Luton in harmony, and he's in the he's got a seat at the table, and because he's very silver tongued. So what you get, you see, when you convert in jail, a lot of people convert in jail. Then the Salafist sect, the English speaking imams, because ninety percent of the imams don't speak English in the UK. Yeah, which they should. Okay, No money should be coming from Saudi. No money should be coming from Qatar. No money should be coming from Iran. Whoever funds and builds a mosque dictates what form of Islam is promoted in that mosque. So we're getting radical jihadist forms. We're getting Salafism, Wahhabism. We're getting all these things. And there are many Muslims who are opposed to it. But they're not being given the platform. They're not being given the voice. The voice is given to the silver-tongued English-speaking ones, which is always the, the Wahhabists. The Wahhabist mosques in each town, the convert mosques, are the English-speaking. They're the radicals. So Qadir Basque, I'm battling Qadir Basque, yeah? for years I'm trying to highlight him, they set up a Discover Islam Centre, the council open a centre in our town centre to convert people, the council do, 
Yeah, and you can look. It happens in East London. They align with the with the radicals, right, for the votes. They have they do a deal for the Luton Council mosques. Can do a deal with the Labour Party. They can get all the mosques to vote for one party for who they want. That's how it's working. It's it's dirty politics. It's block uh, vote uh, vote bank pol politics. But Kadir Basque opened the Discover Islam Center. I then protested. I turned up on the day, and before it opened, I produced quotes from the man who was opening it. He had to resign. Yeah? He had to resign because of his radical jihadist mindset. Yeah? He was gone. They replaced him. Yeah? I turn up, English Fentley, we protest their centre. The council turn up, the mayor turns up, they're all celebrating opening the centre to convert people yeah? to Islam. That happens. We then, um, Kadir Basque, I continue my battle against them. I leave the English Defence League. BBC Radio, you can go and get this radio interview if you want. Anyone goes listen to it, but I think Pink News run it. So Kadir Basque is welcomed into BBC Radio by the presenter who, these, these people are not journalists, okay? The media now is not full of any journalists. They're reporters. They report what they're told to report. A journalist asks difficult questions and investigates, yeah? It's hard to be mainstream and a journalist, you can't, isn't it? No, no, they're not. The two are opposed, aren't they? There aren't so, any. Yeah. There aren't any. That's the reality. There aren't any. There's no challenging, yeah? So he's, the radio presenter is sitting, who I think's gay, yeah. he's sitting with Kadir Basque so Kadir Basque on the radio my phone starts pinging off saying they're, they've got, they're talking about you on the radio I'm in Luton Town Centre so I walk into BBC Radio and um, you can, it's on there yeah? and I walk in and the radio host says well be in the home of Tommy Robinson yeah? he's just walked in Tommy and I said let me sit down and talk with you you're, you're talking about me he was saying because oh, I wanted the Burka band he was saying oh, I was an extremist this is Kadir Basque the Luton in harmony uh, Imam so I sit down and I say right Kadir can I ask you just a couple of questions? You can ask me whatever you want. Let me ask you a couple of questions. So go on. And if you have to word it right, so I say, in your ideal society, would there be a punishment for homosexuality? And he says, in Britain, no, there's no punishment. I said, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking you. Yeah? In your ideal society, if you had what you want, in your ideal society, and he can't lie on this because he's an imam, they would lose all respect. I said, what would, would there be a punishment? He said, yes, there would. I said, okay, now I'm getting somewhere. So in your ideal society, what would that punishment be, Kadir? Yeah. I know it's death. What would the punishment be? And he confesses. He admits it. Yeah. And I sit there, I look at the presenter. I said, so the man who's in part of Luton in Harmony, in his world, he'd be killing gay people. But you lot have got me here as an extremist because I want the NICAP ban for security reasons. This man here, and I, and I went through, I said, okay, in your ideal society, what would the legal age for sex be, Kadir? And the main thing, that, and it, this blew up, this interview, yeah, because here's the imam saying he killed the gays, basically, if he had his way. The police, then, Ofsted, he's a head teacher, this imam, of a school called Olive Tree Primary School, which is part, part of Luton Islamic Centre. Now, the Stockholm bomber, who went and blew himself up in Stockholm, he went to Luton Islamic Centre. All the bomb plots come back to Luton Islamic Centre, where Kadir Basque was, but anyway. So Kadir Basque, Ofsted, raided the school. Because he's the head teacher. They find books in the children's library about cutting off cutting off hands and feet, about 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 stoning people. Books in the children's library. You can't make this shit up, right? This is what I'm battling against, right? And this is going on in my town, and they're in bed with the council. And we're the extremists. And so Kadir Basket's outed. So he's outed from there. Yeah? Then your man went on the murdering spree. Um, on Westminster Bridge, Carly Pursued, yeah. So Carly, the one of my friends. Actually, was one of the ones who stopped him after Steve Gillan. Was he? Well, well Kali Masood worked where? Luton Islamic Centre. Who is he partners with? Kadir Bas, the imam. Yeah? You can't make it up, right? You cannot make it up. So, this, all this happens, it all blows up. 
It all blows up. And Kadir Basque is then outed. There's no Luton Harmony programme. He's gone. So everything I've been telling you, everything I've been warning you against, I've been banging my head against a brick wall. It's took murders and terrorism for you to listen. Yeah. And so then, then I when Luton Borough Council, there was a woman called Councillor Councillor Bailey. Now, when the English Defence League started, I don't trust none of them in that council. They invited me down to a meeting in the council after 12 months. Um, they had the Baroness there, Black Baroness. They had cameras set up like this. And they sat down and said, Tommy, tell us what's wrong. Yeah? I said, OK, I'll tell you what's wrong. You see, our park on our estate is from 1960. Yeah? You go down the road to the Muslim community, you've got a £350,000 state of the art park. Yeah? You have underfunded us. You have ignored us and neglected us. Yeah? And I went through all these things of what they've done and why we're angry. And then I said, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions now. Everyone here. And it's going to prove my point. And I knew it would. All the councillors, all the representation. Where do you live? St Albans. Where do you live? Affluent area. Not in Luton. Hitchin. Not in Luton. Here. Not in Luton. Here. I went for all of them. And Mohammed was there at the end, who's, who's one of them. And I said, you live in Berry Park, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, oh man, you lot think you represent us. You lot think you speak for us. I said, you don't even know who we are. You don't know what it's like to live where we live. You don't know what it's like to be brought up where we're brought up. You're all middle class, yeah? I said, you're all our leaders and representatives and our councillors. So this has all gone on. Could it? So I'm having this battle with the council. Um, they didn't give us any reward, but 12 months later, they had, they had started to address a lot of the things we spoke about, yeah? They put funding in, they start, they bought, they, they, their policies are so mad, yeah? Like we were at Luton, we're at Wembley. And it was 45,000 Luton fans. It was massive, biggest game we've had at Wembley. And every, I remember standing there and about 12 coaches pulled up and all Muslim kids got off. And everyone was going mad. Yeah? Everyone was like, what's going on? They were Luton Borough Council. And I remember then ringing the council on the radio show and saying, can you explain to me what that, that was about? And she said, well, that's part of our integration policy. I said, you clams. Yeah? You should have filled those coaches with whites, blacks and Asians. Yeah? Because... That so many poor white kids, so many poor black kids would have loved the opportunity to go to that game. But what you've done in your stupid mindset is you've, you've caused more problems because that 45,000 people have seen them coaches pull up. Everyone at the stadium is angry because they're thinking, you again, it's for them. Everything's free for them yeah, and not for us. And so all, all these things going on. And Councillor Joan Bailey is the only woman I trusted because she was the only one from Luton within the council who I spoke to. And she and my friend was in a children's home and she used to work, at, she used to be the patron of the children's home. And he said she's lovely. Yeah? He said she's a really nice woman. She came up to me outside Luton Town Hall and said, Tommy, I want you to meet someone. And I said, who? She said, his job is to understand you. Yeah, He's an anti-racism campaigner and he's an anti-extremism campaigner. And he's going to be dealing with a lot of things in your field. Do you mind talking to him? I said, yeah, I'll talk to him. So when I met him, I said, spend the next three days with me. Come to meetings with me. Yeah, you want to understand who we are? So I took him to meetings. I introduced him as an anti-racism campaigner. No, that's an eyelid. I said, everything you say, I agree with. I'm against racism. I'm against extremism. I'm against all that Nazi ideology. I'm against all that white pride stuff. So I went through it all with him. said, I'm, 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 against, I'm with all of it. All the stuff blows up with Kadir Bass. This man's, this man's job and his organisation's job is to train teachers, train social workers, train youth workers about what's happening with far right, with these organisations. He goes to give education, teaching to the police. Who's there teaching the police as well? Kadir Basque, the imam. The imam wants to kill gays. He's teaching the police, bro. Oh, he, so this anti-racism campaign, I said, I'm not doing this. When he said, I'm not doing this with him. What is he doing? What is going on? He's been taken on as a Muslim organisation whose job it is to go in and train the police on how to deal with the Muslim community. So who's teaching the police? The man whose mosque is raided for terrorism. The man who's right-hand man to the Westminster Bridge killer. The man who wants to kill gays. They infiltrated every system. 
It's in everywhere. And everyone's so cowards to stand up to it. So all of this, there's so, I could go off on a hundred different stories like this, but our battle was to, our battle was to get the council to wake up, to stop being in bed with them. Yeah. Stop facilitating the, the aggression or the Islam, Islamization of our towns and cities. And obviously while this is all going on, you've gained incredible support. Yeah. Um, and at this point here, obviously you've seen um, the mainstream media control and the way that they can manipulate and stuff like this. So talk to me about... They can the make big, you a monster or they can make you a hero. Yeah, and I realised I want to start doing journalism myself. How easy that is to. Um, I'll give you an example. Of how easy that is. I've just done a documentary on the Barrow that this girl falsely accused um, Muslim men and lots of other men of raping her. Yeah, I went up there. My job was to investigate. Is it the truth? I found out very early on that I don't know if she's a victim of abuse, but I know that we can't trust what she says. So at the minute, lots of Muslim businesses and lots of Muslim men's lives are being destroyed based on what she's saying. But she's previously lied here, here, here about rape, about violence. She's a liar. Yeah. So I approached the Muslims and to, to ask them questions that needed to be asked. Yeah. Because there's a lot of rumours going around. So I sat down. They all welcomed me into their homes. Yeah. They give me information on some men that are actually committing crimes. And um, and I said, look, I'm just here to find the truth. And I met the Muslim fellow. His little boys were there. They've had to leave school because they're getting bullied over the allegations. He didn't do anything. Yeah. But what I I had enough of people saying. And I could have painted a picture very easily that because the girl was taken to court for the false allegations. She's now in jail. I could have produced a documentary that would have made it look like the men were still guilty. And I thought, oh, my God. So what I didn't, I produced the truth. And I said, the, and from the very start, that's all I, that's all I wanted to do. But I realised then how easy it is. If you've got a narrative and you've got an agenda, yeah, you just find things that help that. So the media would come to a demonstration with 5,000 people. Yeah, lots of ordinary people, black people, Asian people, they'd find a couple of skinhead men, bald head, with a can of beer, and that image would be publicised to the world. Every single English Defence League demonstration from the start of that organisation had a non-white person speak. I made sure of it as the leader. Yeah, A non-white person spoke at every demonstration. We made sure that racists and extremists knew they weren't welcome in this movement. Yeah, The media never showed you that. You were told we're a far-right racist organisation who against everyone. That's what you're told. Total lies. But I really, and, and the media's jobs and their hit jobs and the amount of times. But the problem the media had is I had social media and I'd become big on social media. So you're able to fight back through I that. I could thing. fight back. I could humiliate, which is what I've done. I recorded secretly their conversations. I'll give you an example again. Like um, Jason Farrell, Sky News. He calls me down for an interview. I leave a camera over there before I go, before we start. I record the whole interview. I wait for him to publish his interview. The headline that goes, it's this headline, let me get up while we're here. Let me get up. Tell me, because the mad thing is, it's still online and it's a total lie and I've proved it's a lie. Tony Robinson, I incite fear. The headline said, I incite fear of Muslims, yeah? Basically, I, it was it was me. But it's like, it's, the, the power of the media is this, this, this the louder the voice or the bigger the platform, this, the, yeah? the more it's believed. Tommy Robinson, yep. right? I don't care if I incite fear of Muslims, is the headline, yeah? Basically, I'm talking to Jason Farrell, and we're talking about grooming and rape of children. And I talk about, there was a film made in Holland called Loverboy, and the government made it, and they tried to bring it to the UK in 2007 to warn children about that it's Loverboy, Moroccans in, in Holland, get the girls in love, and then they prostitute and rape them. Exactly the same was happening here. It's called Loverboy there, it's called Love Jihad in India, here we call it grooming. It's the same thing, it's rape of kids, yeah? Torture of children. 
Okay. So I said, they, they produced this film and, I, and they said, yeah, but, and I said, they stopped it through race, through fear of racism, racial tensions. And I said, I don't care if it incites fear, so long as it stops children being raped. So the words I use is, I don't care if it incites. They totally, he put a voiceover saying, I put to Tommy Robinson that you're, what you're doing is installing fear. And then they just cut me saying, I don't care if it incites fear. Yeah. The bit I was talking about a film. I was talking about a film. They actually added, I don't care if if I, I say it, yeah? I try, I, and then I took the actual audio and then, and, and then I put the video out saying, he's totally lied to you. I didn't say this at all. He's added an S. I don't care if I incite. I said it incites. He's actually took two letters off to make it fit his narrative. And I put that video out and had a million views, yeah? And this is why they had to get rid of me. Because I was humiliated in the sense of proving to the public, if he's lied about that, if they've doctored that footage, changed the context of what we're talking about, put a voiceover in to make it fit, cut an hour long, so he sat there for an hour, and he kept asking me questions, and he's already got what he's going in, yeah? He kept asking me questions. Out of that hour, they used two minutes, yeah? So we can sit here now, you can, you can go through, you could go through all this footage now, and you could cut certain things I've said, put a voiceover, Maybe and that. totally change the context. Totally manipulate the public. They're not falling. It's not making a fool out of me. It's making a fool out of you watching. You are being lied to, yeah, time and time again. And I have proved it. I proved it then. I proved it with Panorama. I made a documentary proving that Panorama is being used to lie. I use my social media. It's insane, isn't it? The, the Panorama thing. Anyone hasn't checked that out, please go and watch it. Um, oh, mate, it's, it's insane. And for this is to be a government establishment who's doing this as well. This, this is, is the best. Grace. This is meant to be the best. Investigative journalist company organization Panorama in the world, in our country, yeah. And they were, and again, just so people haven't watched it, you need to go watch it. My show is called Panorama. It's why I got deleted and cancelled from the world. It's why they put me back in prison. The links will be below, people. Yeah, they they put me on a they put me. I got someone to wear a hidden camera on Panorama. They were doing an investigative thing about me. I got them telling people what to say. I got them making up sexual allegations about me. I got them being so fraudulent in their journalism. Yeah? And then they and then I made it into a documentary called Panodrama. And John Sweeney was the leader. John Sweeney was a man, he lost his job through the BBC. He come out afterwards swearing about me. He lost his job. We proved him as a fraud. We proved him as manipulative. We proved him of, of, of creating news. It's what they do. They, they, cre they, go, they, they get, we want this. We want Tommy Robinson to be a sexual predator. Well, we'll make him be one. That's, the, that, that's now the media. We want him to have said this. We'll make him say that. Yeah? There's no investment. And yeah, that's why I was deleted off social media. But I'm back on Twitter. And indeed. So talk to me about like the fight and how far you've been willing to go. Obviously, at certain points, you've ended up in jail for exposing grooming gangs, which obviously you should be given a medal for. Um, I mean, obviously, you said Asian, but it doesn't matter for me where they're from or Muslim grooming. It's just grooming gangs. Um, anyone who targets and exposes grooming gangs in any is a hero. Well, how far would I have been willing to go? And like that's a disgrace. Talk to me about freedom of speech in this country. There is no it? freedom of speech, mate. I've got in, I've got two injunctions now from courts. I'm not allowed to tell you or show you evidence I have. I'm not allowed to show you covertly recorded footage I have that prove corruption, that prove people are being paid to remain silent. Governments are paying people not to talk. Yeah, I've got seven people on covert. I made a documentary called Silence. They just took me to the high court. The judge gave me an injunction. I'm not that show anyone. I get two years in jail. It's just absolutely disgraceful. And it's like I said, to fair play for being willing to go through. You're not just 
here trying to make a song dance about you're actually willing to go through the lens. You've gone to jail, a place that is heavily controlled by Muslims. Terrifying. I can fully understand. And, yeah. um, it's, I think when, when we had you these, did well to get out alive. I have done. Yeah, I know. There'll be lots of people in. Lots of people who have orchestrated these plans to silence me will be scratching their heads thinking, he's still here. And he's not still here, he's trending. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I am. And I'm going to continue. And, and, and we, we said, uh, death, what was our saying in the English defence league? Death, prison or glory. And it was mad because at that time, it, it, we were, I was an amazing leader to that movement. Yeah, But I've said it many times, I was a terrible husband. Sorry, Jenna. Yeah. And I probably wasn't the best father because it took over my life. Because I, because I try and explain it. Try explain this to your wife. You know, any of you lads out there think you've been in the doghouse, mate? Right? Not, when police knock on the door and say we've got intel, they're going to acid attack you to the wife. Yeah, or not. But I think that she could deal with the thing she couldn't deal with probably at times was me going missing. Yeah, because I'm leading the English Defence League, and I believe, I wholeheartedly believe, which I tried to explain to her. If we don't do something now, if we don't stop what's happening, then the next generation, which is all of our children, they're going to be slaves. They're going to be victims. They're going to be in fear. And if someone has to fight, I want to fight. I don't want my son to fight. Yeah? And I believe this. I believe that the current climax and what's happening with Islam, the spread of Islam, and Islam, is, Muslims make up 5% of the UK. Yeah? When it gets to 20%, it's game over. Right? And, the, and the change in numbers... And the uh, demographical change, uh, let's go back to Luton, 2013, they gave the projection forecast by 2030. And I looked at the community growth. Whites was 1.2%, blacks 1.4% growth. The Pakistani and Bangladeshi community were going to increase by 70 to 77%. This change is going to change the culture. It's going to change free speech. It's going to change what you can talk about, what you can say. Whether the police bring in laws or you self-censor through fear, things are changing. Yeah, Terrorism goes up every every year, the amount of attacks in the lot. What, 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 what are we a week now? In the last week, we've had a Muslim arrested at Leeds, at Leeds, Airport, at Leeds um, Hospital with a gun and a bomb. Yeah, Mohammed. Okay. We've had a jihad attack in... Germany, two murdered, seven injured on a train. You probably don't know this because it doesn't really make the news anymore. Become desensitised. We've had a priest murdered and multiple stabbed in a, in a church in Spain by a jihadi just this week. Yeah? Now, if the police hadn't stopped, if our security services weren't as good as they were, we'd have a bomb go off every month. You know? Planes would have been blown up, nightclubs would have been blown up, shopping centres would have been blown up, hospitals, all these things. Yeah? Then we, people might realise we're in a war zone, yeah? But because we have security services, every now and then some get through. Manchester bomb attack, these different attacks. But a lot get stopped. So my biggest fear has always been, or I convince myself, and I, and I believe I'm right, that we have to stand and make a change. But that was always about Islam. Where we're at now, I don't, I don't, crazily for a lot of people, I don't see Islam as the biggest threat to all of us. I see government tyranny. I see, I see what happened with covid I see the new, whether it be the central bank digital currency coming in, the total control of your movements, whether it be the new carbon tax they want to bring in, climate change. All of these things are linked. I realise that the open borders, it's all part of a jigsaw. You need to piece it together. Once you piece it together, you realise that all of it is linked. Yeah. Open border immigration, weakening of men, feminisation of men, breakdown of the family, attacking the family, supporting women so they can leave their husbands. All of this, they don't want you 
as a family to bring up your children. They want the state to bring up your children. They don't want you succeeding. They don't want to become successful. They don't want companies to become successful. They want corporations to run everything and every one of us to be their slaves. And that's what I realise now as we're looking at where we're at in the current climax of where of where we're at. I don't see, and madly I keep saying, I see Muslims being our allies in fighting this. Indeed. Yeah, no, indeed. They're, the government is the main enemy. So like you say, obviously there's um, a lot of coercion through fear obviously the case of what they've done to Julian Assange and stuff like that, like everyone, what they did to you, obviously putting you in jail, but obviously where, obviously these things didn't work, eventually they managed to silence you by obviously the social media and the YouTube and all this sort of stuff. Like, that's obviously had a massive effect because you didn't have your platforms in order to argue back and fight back. Oh, they, um, can they can tell people. But at that point there, it must have obviously been a bit of a low after that, obviously, and... It was hard. It's hard. Did you think, where am I going to go at this point here? And obviously there must have been... I've become worried because I thought... Anything they would have done to me before, I can let everyone know. Embarrasses them. Exposes them. Now I'm gone. No, I can't even, no one even knows where to find me. Yeah, I can't even speak. So God knows what's... I was worried about what's coming now. Are they going to want to finish me? Um, that's why I was worried. Am I causing that much of a headache? And I was causing a headache for my 69 million people watch my videos in a four-week period. Yeah, I was reaching people. I was reaching people, and they know I was reaching people. And that's why I was cancelled. And it was a low point, because I used to buzz off changing people's opinion. That's what you're out to you do, know. isn't it? So. Yeah, that's what I'm out to do. A lot of people look, and they think they know who I am. And then they watch an hour-long presentation of me and think, damn, I didn't realise that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. If you read the headlines, you'd think this is a... I'd hate me. Hitler ring. If I read the headlines, I'd hate me. When you watch something very articulate yeah. and... I'd think I was an arsehole, which I am at times, yeah. But I'm not the I'm not the extremist racist bigot that they say I am. Yeah, I'm not an angel, and that's probably my upbringing as not being an angel is probably the reason that I've tolerated so much and still sitting here now, and still willing to to go through it. So, you know, at the point though, um, obviously the last couple of years when you've been silenced on social media, when you've been silenced on YouTube, um, if any march get organised, they're not even going to get shown in mainstream media. At that point, there you thought. I come to sort of dead end here. Where am I, how am I going to proceed from here? Where's it going to go? Did you? I had. had a, well, I come out of jail in 2019 <clears throat> in a terrible place because um, after remember after I was deplatformed, they whacked me in jail. I've done yep. solitary confinement, solitary confinement, solitary confinement, different sentences. And like <coughs> I said, I've heard you um, talking about was it 10 weeks in solitary confinement? I've done 22 weeks, and then I've done 11 weeks. But people probably don't weeks. understand what it's like. I mean, I'm. Um, very much a loner character. I'm uncomfortable on my own and working on my own and stuff like this. But we don't realise how much I mean, we need to interact with people. I didn't stuff speak like because um, I, I, couldn't said, use, I couldn't use the phone. I, so. I spent one week in there, block, yeah, and it was, was absolutely pain. sent me dulali. I was yeah. not right in the head when I came out of there. I was not in a right sort of state of mind. And uh, you're only allowed to do 28 days. But what they done to get around that? They took me from Wandsworth block. They shipped me to. Bedford block. Yeah, no, it's called uh, something, a rule, something else. I know someone who's been on this for yeah, Wood, 18 months being moved up to Wood Hill. one night to 28 nights in each block and they get moved from block to block. That's what they've done to me. And then, so... And you I, don't when get I told said, where you get moved. You don't get told no, when you get moved. Boom, come in and get you. And then, the, and, then, and then you have the same process of trying to get the phone calls when you get to New Jail. So I remember, like, it may seem weird, but imagine just sitting in your bedroom with nothing in there and staying silent for a day, just one day. Just try it for one day. Imagine a week or a month. Yeah, you don't know when to stay in. Like I remember, it was Christmas time. Yeah, 
And I remember thinking, I don't even know what time it is, right? Because you're just in this room, yeah? And then it's dark early. So I'm waking up and I'm thinking, is it seven in the morning? Is it six in the morning? Or is it, is it 11 o'clock? Because you're just trying, you're falling asleep. You, oh man, it was, and it, and it sounds so weird to think how much damage that can do, but it damaged me. I went into jail one person, come out another. Yeah. I'd come out of this totally different person. I was a mess. I couldn't interact with my family. I didn't want to be around people. I, the noise, just everything. I was like, just get away. I just wanted to be on my own. I just wanted to be on my own. And that's after, and, and it was, and it was horrible. I can understand that. I mean, I'm, like I said, I was a bit of a loner anyway, comfortable in my own space, but now I am much more so after coming out of jail and yeah. uh, you become much more comfortable with yourself, don't yeah. you? Oh, it's horrible, man. And, and then, and I don't know if I could end up then feeling sorry for myself, yeah, because I think, I'm doing all this time in solitary confinement. I asked a, a paedophile how he felt about his verdict. That's all I've done. How do you feel about your verdict? As he walked into court, very calmly, he shouted loads of abuse. Now, like I said, uh, you're a saint for doing this sort of stuff. This is what proper journalists should be doing, stuff that needs to be highlighted. And it's uh, absolutely insane and disgraceful that you did get chucked jail. to jail for this sort of stuff. But um, So, obviously, it's easy for us to point the finger at the government and all this sort of stuff. But say you were in charge what would your policies of immigration be and how would you deal with the Muslims? I'd totally stop immigration of uh, Islamic immigration into this country. It's completely stop is Islamic immigration into this country until temporarily, until they have sorted out to understand why there is so much hatred and violence. So until they have got to the bottom, say for example, let's just look. But you know, like, sorry to interject, but you say you're going to ban them from coming to this country. What about obviously Muslims in this country and there's obviously people, but so, I, I had friends that become Muslim yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not saying so kick, I'm not saying obviously kick. Be, it's so difficult isn't it no it's not I'm not saying kick them out yep. I'm not saying kick out Muslims out of here out what I'm saying is last what about Asian people then or Muslims said they, they said they weren't Muslims in order to get to this country in order it's a very that's what they're doing now very so, difficult policy to uphold at the same time from certain it? countries so you can look at Islamic nations and say okay no more of them no more of them no more of them and the reason being temporarily just one example this week we have had a refugee come into this country yeah he said he was 14, right? He got put into a school, spent two years at school, right? He's just murdered a Royal Marine, 21 years old. You see this dude, he'd already shot two people with an AK-47 in Serbia. He'd already sold drugs in another country, yeah? And he wanders in here, and he's in school with our kids, yeah? Now, what is our government's job? It's to protect us, yeah? They're failing every day. You see all these hotels full of migrants of God knows who are sexually assaulting women, raping men in Ireland. They're coming in. Their cultures are so different. All you have to do is look at Pew Research in Afghanistan or Pakistan. You need to look at their views on women. Look at their views on homosexuals. Look at their views on free speech. Yeah, It goes totally against everything we stand for. So why do you think bringing in millions of them yeah, from these countries is going to work? It's like mixing oil and water. Now, I'm not saying get rid of the Muslims that are here. What I'm saying is banish Sharia law, okay? Because it's oppressive. We have 100 Sharia law courts operating now in this country. Stop Islamic immigration into our nation until it's sorted. Stop. And these are all things that these are all things that I stand by, and they're, sens they're sensible. If you don't, if you want to try and limit the problem, we already have a big enough problem. You're adding to it. Totally adding to it. There's so much. Stop all money coming from Saudi Arabia. I know you're going to find it harder, government, because they're totally in bed with you. You're sending out missiles so they can bomb children in Yemen. But stop the money going to Saudi Arabia, coming in from Saudi. Stop it from Qatar. Stop it from Iran. Yeah. Stop it from all these 
horrible nations with total human rights catastrophes. So in terms of obviously the immigration policy at the moment, they seem like they're trying to sort of falsely come down hard, dead. hard on the people who come across it illegally. They're uh, not illegal immigrants. I believe in legal immigration. I was illegal. My mum was an immigrant to this country. Okay? Yeah. Most of my friends are sons of immigrants. Of course. Okay? What I'm saying is there's a problem in these dealing with and there's no point in adding to it. Okay, that's it. Right? And the, to, for someone to come into our country for immigration, they have to benefit our country. They have to be skilled. They have to have money. Yeah? Yeah. They have to be. They have to be of a benefit to this country. Okay, we don't so, want so people coming in. So We're obviously, in. over the last sort of twenty years, there's been a massive uh, influx of Albanian people coming to this country, and they've got a big control of the drugs, the drug world in every town and They've literally taken over from all I've seen. Yeah, they have. And obviously, I've got nothing against Albanians, just for anyone out there. I've got lots of Albanian friends, but it's um, so, you know, I don't like, blame in, them. in terms of the the EDL, you know, when they had this the, the mission statement, obviously, against, but obviously, as things have changed, don't they, on a yearly basis. And yeah. so, obviously, the EDL, if you're involved in that, would you be against obviously, the Albanian side? So, if you haven't got something good to bring to the country, you shouldn't be coming here. You've got a skill. What's your skill? Yeah. What, what have you got a job lined up? Well, what are you coming here for? Coming here to claim benefits? Coming here to sell drugs? No, you're not. Simple. You're not. Coming here to claim asylum. There's no war in There's no war in, yeah. that, in Albania. What are you talking about? No other countries give them asylum. Just our weak, pathetic government. Yeah. Yeah? There's so much they could do, but you see, the Tory party, they're not going to stop it because they're all benefiting from it. They're all profiteering from it. The hotels, the Serco contracts. It's disgusting, isn't it? They're all... They're this all, government contract thing is absolutely disgusting. Like the PPE. If the PPE didn't wake everyone up, yeah? Well, if everyone given, thinks that politicians get into government in order to earn this hundred grand a year, whatever this expense they talk about, these are lot multi-millionaires at the point where they get into government, look, that they become much more... Look at the PPE. If PPE didn't wake you up, and given, given their friends contracts for track and trace, it was never even used. Stuff that didn't work. Stuff that didn't work. They didn't care. They, it, it's just money laundering and robbing taxpayers' money. But they're just so... Uh, Good at it in this country. They're not even break the laws. The laws get no bent. One no one challenges them. The laws are the laws are made to bend and accommodate. Of course, whatever they want. And so, obviously, um, in twenty twenty, you you got awarded you for the International Free Press Awards. Um, that must have been a nice thing. A difficult time for you, obviously. A year after getting out of jail, with obviously being silenced in so many ways. For you to get something like that must have been a nice something nice. And it was in Danish Parliament. So the, what I found amazing is I walk into Danish Parliament and get standing ovation. And they all scour and hate me in our parliament here. You'd never get a politician or even anyone of any highest standing. I get so many people who talk to me, who have meetings with me, including journalists, yeah, who support and agree with me, but they're too scared to even have their picture taken of me. Yeah. They have made me successfully, they've done a campaign to make me toxic. Too toxic to even talk to. The reason they've done that is because they feared the ability I had to galvanise people together. The ability I had to get numbers of people active, uh, more, we could get more people active than any political party could. Yeah, we get more people out on the streets than any political party could. So they and they di and they didn't like that, and that, and that's what they feared. So they've made they've made me toxic. They've continually demonised me in the media. I think when I got that Danish Free Press Society award, I gave a speech at Danish Parliament. It's a great speech. Watch, just put Tommy Robinson Denmark. It should come up on YouTube. And I showed and proved the lies of the media. I said, they told you this, here's the video. They told you this, here's the truth. They said this and then corrected it two days later, too late. There's, the story's out there. They've put it out there. They've lied to the public, continually lied to the public about who I am. Um, so it's frustrating at times. And it's not just frustrating. Like, whatever they brand me as and whatever they tell the public I am, they're, they're doing it in the education system now in the UK, they teach children about me. They're not teaching them the truth. They're teaching children about me. Yeah? My children have had to grow up in that same 
generation where they're teaching about me as a bad guy. The media are calling me all these names. There's constant attacks by politicians against me. For what? It's crazy. Mm. Crazy. But um, obviously, like I said, you've had a small victory of late with the Twitter being reinstated back onto Twitter thanks to Elon Musk with a bit of freedom of speech. Obviously, getting a slight win back in the right direction. How long it lasts, obviously, we'll wait and see. But obviously, you must have been delighted for that. And obviously, what your feelings towards Elon, obviously, must be. I, I, was, yeah, I was delighted. I wanted my old account back. I had half a million followers. Um, and I worked hard to get that. Any way you can get that back? Or is that going to be coming back? I don't know, man. Have you spoken to anyone within Twitter? I've tried I know to. They've literally got rid of everyone there, hasn't it? So I started a new account. Yeah. And then they deleted it because I was on the ban list. And they said, they sent me an email saying, you're banned. So I appealed, said no. Like, I was banned, so everyone knows. When on Twitter, I made a statement that Muslims make up 5% of the UK. Yeah, they're responsible for 90% of the convictions of gang-coordinated grooming of children. There's a massive over-representation. 30% of the convicted men are called Muhammad. Why? You ask yourself why. Why are they not Sikh? Why are they not Hindu? What's going on here? Science going on. Yeah. You're not allowed to ask what's going on. So I made that statement on Facebook, on Twitter, and it was hate speech, deemed as hate speech. So facts, that's a fact. That is a fact. Facts were deemed as hate speech by the pre. We've seen all the stuff they've done now with the Twitter files, how they were coordinating and attacking people and silencing people due to their politics. But Elon Musk has come back. So my account, I'm up to 72,000 now in the space of weeks. Um, I will continue to rise in my numbers. I'll reach the public again. In the last 12 months, I've made six feature-length feature, long, feature, feature length documentaries, over an hour long each one. Very well made as well. So the editing the way they put together. Very Great good, Britain, very episode one, two, three, four. Very professional. Hope and Hate Expose, and the most recent one was proving the, the girl was lying up in Barrow. So the most important work I've done, they haven't got the views that they should have. They should have millions of views, but that will come. Because as we get back on social media, as our platforms grow, as Rumble grows as, a, as an alternative to YouTube, um, as people get to hear the truth, which is what opportunities like this uh, give me to give my side of the story so people can listen to me, not what they're saying about me. Um, and what, what about when, obviously, you get so many things right or information, then when you get some things wrong, yep. but obviously you've got a platform and obviously things went wrong, and obviously talking about the libel case, obviously, in 2021. I didn't get that one. You did I will send you a film. Yes. I will show you every bit of proof. So, yes. so I was reading some statements where you were saying that you got it wrong. Or was that just mainstream media? No, I've never garbage? said it wrong. I've got no. it all right. 100% right. 100% right. Yeah. And I've got an injunction yes. that prevents me from showing anyone. This video. And obviously, can you talk about the case at all? Obviously, did, is it correct that you uh, have to pay a Hundred grand in damages, and was it up to five hundred grand in, it's in fine. costs? No, it's one one point two million. It's that. And, and, and obviously, was it? I saw part of the breakdown was seventy grand for them to get the witness statements. They took five. The they took five witness statements. They put a bill for thirty five thousand pound. They get hundred percent uplift, seventy thousand pound, and I have to pay it. So very early on, I knew this is fi this is financial terrorism. This isn't justice. A boy gets a bottle of water overhead in the playground. Yeah, one point two million pound. This is, and that's that's the courts are used. You see the court that ruled against me. Well, it's one of these things, like you say, when they can't beat you on other sort of fronts, and they will been able to, then you know, like they have to do this. So we're going to do it with financial means. Similar to what's happened to Alex Jones, obviously in America at the moment with the the, the Sandy Hook, which is it, absolutely it's lawfare. It's, it's lawfare, and if you actually listen in the Hope Not Hate expose I done, the recorded conversation for either Mole within Hope Not Hate, he says that Nick Lowell has said, who's a, the leader of Hope Not Hate, who are linked with all our politicians, <clears throat> their job is to financially destroy me. That, so that I can't operate. And that's what they've been successful in doing. They bankrupt me in a court case um, for £1.2 million. And I told the truth. I was the only journalist in the UK who told the truth on that issue. I can prove that. 
categorically proved. But I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to show anyone. I get two years in jail. Insane. And you see, even in that court case, it's like, I can say certain things. So certain things are, the newspapers blew up this worldwide story. The incident, the incident happens here. Yeah? Six weeks later, the video goes viral. In between these six weeks, a celebrity Muslim lawyer, Shamina Begum's lawyer, he puts in a, a criminal record check on the Syrian family. The results come back say, on the 25th. The next day, the video goes viral across the world. It's all planned. Yeah, The whole thing was planned to push a narrative and an agenda. As the video goes viral, I go, I wear a hidden camera, they close the school down. So I think, I know the truth, because all the parents contact me, everyone's telling me, I report the truth. Then they sue me and they close the school. No one else talks. Teachers don't talk. So I can't wear a camera. I knock on an Asian teacher's house. Yeah, He uh, he comes out and I'll show you all this. He comes out and he says, Tommy, I, I, said, I, know, I said, you know why I'm here? I've got a court case now for lying. Yeah? And he says, Tommy, I took the money. I'm like, what? He says, I took the money. I said, what do you mean you took the money? He goes, bro, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about it. I'm not allowed to mention anything legally. I can't say a word. I said, okay, who paid you? Kirkley's council. So I looked at who the leader of Kirkley's council is. The leader of council, Kirkley's council is a Muslim fella. That Muslim fella's brother is the imam who organised the protest outside of Batley School, yeah, where the teacher had to go into hiding. He also organised a protest outside this school. Yeah? So this imam, this, this leader of the council, which is the whole story is insane. I've done an amazing film on it. Yeah? He's, they're paid, and he got 18 grand. Yeah, he says, they give me 18,000 pounds. All I've got all on camera. Yeah? They made him sign a non-disclosure agreement. So I go to the head teacher's house. The head teacher says, Tommy, I joined teaching to help poor children. It's, it's, it's tearing. Yeah? He says, what they've done to that kid, the English kid, he goes, it's disgusting. Yeah? I said, but we were all told these certain things. And then, and he, and then he says, I've signed an NDA. I said, did they pay you? He says, yeah. I said, and he says, hush money. Yeah? He says. And then he says, they come into my office, when it blew up, they, because Theresa May speaks about it at the United Nations meeting, yeah? they said, get rid of it. He goes, when I say they, it comes from up there, get rid of this problem. Yeah? They came up, they called me in, they made me sign a piece of paper, they threatened him with his pension. I signed that bit of paper, he wasn't even allowed to say goodbye to other teachers, part of his non-disclosure agreement is he's not allowed to talk to the other teachers. He was escorted off the school property and he hasn't worked a day since. Then I go to the other, I've got all the teachers saying it. We're not allowed to, but they don't know they're on camera. I've got the whole lot, yeah? So they hid from the public. They they think by paying everyone, which is what they're doing everything, these non-disclosure agreements, they silence anyone from telling the truth. And then they stuck me in court. I brought to court seven, the undercover footage showing seven teachers saying what I said was true, yeah? Talking the truth. When they're all on camera, they're saying everything. I've got it, so much of it, yeah? Then I brought five five pupils to court to give evidence. Say one one girl, for example, she comes to court, she gives evidence that the Syrian boy beat her up with a hockey stick in school. Yeah? Her school records show that she is the only pupil, the teacher says you are the only pupil in your year group who has that zero negatives. She got 11 A's at school, the equivalent. She's now studying law. She comes to court, gives evidence to the judge. Yeah, he beat me up. Yeah? Another boy comes to court. He called my mum white slag. He done this. He attacked me. He, when, the boy had a broken arm. Yeah? The boy had a broken arm in the video online. And they said he was through, because he was a victim of racist bullying. Yeah? I knock at the head teacher's house and say, well, how did he break his arm? He said, do you not know how he broke his arm? I did know. He goes, he was attacking a boy four years younger. Yeah? And someone pushed him off. That's how he broke his arm. So and the head teacher says, I know because I investigated it. 
So I said, nothing to do with racism then? No. Nothing to do with this? No. He was the aggressor. Yeah. So we're just lied to yeah, the whole time. So that's how, he bro that's how he broke his arm. I've got the head teacher telling me how he broke his arm. But all of this evidence is put to the court. The judge's verdict was everyone, the seven teachers on covert recording and the five pupils that come to court were all lying. And his actual verdict is sometimes people just lie. They don't need a reason to lie. That's the most intellectual man in our country. One of them. That's your verdict. And at the end of that, yeah, at the end of that, he gives me an injunction saying I cannot share or show anyone the footage. I say, well, if it's such a clear cut case, the public will come to the same conclusion as you, won't they, my lord? Yeah? They'll think the same as you, yeah. Your Honour. Yeah. So, but that, and when I realised this is the same court, did you watch the Johnny Depp case? Yeah, of course. Johnny Depp was found guilty by the same court in England. Yeah. And actually, if you read the case and read the the, the the judge ruled against police evidence, against witness evidence, but ruled against him. That's when I realised this isn't about Tommy Robinson. This is about a narrative. That's the Me Too narrative. Men are bad. Women are victims. Yeah, that is the narrative. So they didn't care that it was Johnny Depp. They ruled against everything and found against him. As soon as you get, he gets an open trial where people can see, he's cleared. His name's cleared. My name's still not be cleared. People like yourselves can look it up and think, oh, I lied. I didn't lie. I've got every bit of evidence that I didn't lie. So... What, what's the plan for you, the objective for you now moving forward? Like I say, when the EDL started, it was to, um, obviously, against radicalism, uh, radical Islam. Yeah. Um, what's, what is it now? So, obviously, like you say, this is, there's radical Islam, Muslim views and all this sort of stuff in different parts of the world. Yeah. But, obviously, is it not, this, this is going to be going on regardless, obviously, different cultures and stuff like this. Like I say, is it not the government that should be targeting who has too, too soft a stance, obviously, to protect what we've got? I actually country. think it's all been done on purpose. We give a safe haven for many radical jihadists because it suited us because they were fighting the Russians. We imported them, many of them. We gave them safe places. We let their, the Muslim Brotherhood operate in London. We let them have bases here. Many of the Islamic organisations that can flourish in this country, his but to here, these sorts of groups are not banned. They're banned in all the Islamic countries. <laughs> They're allowed to operate here and that's sort of like I've been done by our government I, I think they want us all divided I've played my part yeah but they want us all divided 100% because whilst we're divided into Muslim non-Muslim black white gay this all these different things now while we're all battling each other over this bullshit yeah while we're going at each other they can steer the ship wherever they want to they do what they want about they, they take every one of our freedoms. So with COVID, with the vaccine, with all these things we've seen, when this, when they bring in this digital currency, they want to know every bit of your movement, every step you make, every movement you make, and they will take the Muslims' freedoms the same way they take my freedoms. And that's the biggest threat that I currently see. So what do I want to do? I've, I'm still in journalism. I've done six documentaries last year. I've got two more that I'm working through. They're both the final two episodes of The Rape of Britain in Telford. One, we look at the council. We're going to expose that council big time with what I've got on them. Um, and we've got one more to tell a girl's story, and I need to finish them. I don't have the resources to finish them, if I'm honest. Of course. You know the current climax. Well, hopefully now that you're back on um, social Twitter, media. social media, the, the, the support comes. Support I hope it does. hopefully come, I'm sure. Because we, we can't finish the work we're doing. No, I'm sure. And we've got, yeah, and obviously because the current climax, everyone's so skinned. And so, so going on to uh, that sort of follows on, to sort of uh, a quick fire few questions. Yep. Obviously, I've seen that uh, the mainstream media, again, trying to put up, uh, rumours donations you've had nearly three million pounds worth of donations and all this sort of stuff it's, uh... it's very simple yeah i went bankrupt because i had no money i had the biggest investigation by the top london team to find my finances yep what did they find zero nothing yeah? whatever's come in the amount i've spent hundreds of thousands of pounds on legal legal fees yeah? hundreds of thousands i got hit for 1.2 million unfortunately 
Jamal, he shouldn't have had anything, but the boy in the court case hasn't had a penny. Yeah? Yeah. So I haven't got a penny. Right? So none of the solicitors have been paid. They're solicitors because I ain't got no money. They've just hit me for another 20 cents. So I come out of bankruptcy. They took me straight back to court. I come out of bankruptcy, so I'm supposed to be able to get on my life. They took me straight back to court and hit me for another 30 grand. So I've got now till two days to pay another 30 grand, or they're going to start bankruptcy proceedings against me again. I've tried to get a payment plan off them, which they won't give me. Yeah? So I'm going to end up going bankrupt again. Then they get my bank accounts for a year again. <clears throat> Not that that's going to stop me, because it didn't stop me last time. I can still maintain work and still maintain producing content. Yep. So it just means that they're not going to get their money, because I haven't got it. So some people, I look at some people and think, would you rather they had the money? Would you rather that whatever was given was given to these lot? There ain't no money in me. And um, I know you obviously know Andrew Tate for a long time, spent a lot of time with him. And what do you think of him becoming a Muslim um, of late? Um, I think it's a very bad idea. I think it's a dangerous idea. I don't think he well, from his own comments, he doesn't know that much about it. So why would someone so intelligent convert to something without knowing audience now? So then not just convert to it, but also give instructions for his followers to convert to it. He's a very influential man. A lot of people follow him. Um, I know that he was in a position, and he is in a position where he felt he was trying to stay alive and things like that. And, then it, and, I, and, and I know that a lot of his views would suit Islamic views as well. <clears throat> I know that he's probably looking like most other people, thinking, who's standing up to this crap? And it's, his, and it's the Islamic community on a lot of issues. They don't bow, they don't pander, they don't move on their viewpoint. Whereas the church does, everyone else does, everyone else is weak. They ain't that weak. And that, but I, I can see how that become a trap. There's, there's strength in unity. The one thing that Muslims do do, it's which a, is... It's a brotherhood. Yeah, and it is. The way they do sit together, and I, and I saw this, and I see this. And, it is, uh, and that's appealing. It is appealing, 100%. It's appealing. Like, I, I wish other people would... It's appealing when we don't have a community anymore. When they yeah. broke your community, broke your family, broke your identity... 100%. There's something very strong there. 100%. And that is what I think he's converted for. I don't know. I, I, I had a podcast due with him to sit down and go through a lot of this and have a real interesting talk on it. Um, but obviously he's in jail now. Indeed. And um, so what do you think of, uh, real quickly, about Julian Assange? I know you met him briefly while you were in jail. And um, what do you think of him? I think he's a hero. I don't think he should be in jail. I think that what's happening to him is criminal and disgusting, barbaric. I think he's been tortured by the British state, by the world governments, yep. by the um, by the cabal, whatever you want to call it. He is they're using him to set an example to instill fear into everyone else. Okay. You stand up and you speak out, we can do what we want. And they can do what they want. They're just it's pure tyranny. He's gonna to go to America and spend the rest of his life rest in China in the worst conditions ever, not see anyone and he's He's gone through the worst. Has he, has he not gone through enough already? Mate, I was in Belmarsh, I spent what, twelve weeks in that in solitary in that place on my own, yeah? Yeah. He's up, he's gone, man. His head's gone. He's crying and, and he's gone. I spoke to him twice through the windows because he was in the hospital wing. But even the screws told me, oh, he's mental, mate. It was just so easy, like I said, They're I was. Broken. So, yeah, like you're saying, Julian's obviously a saint and um, the same with Edward Snowden, who choose, chose to give up everything to go and live in, a, in Russia. I know, mate. And it, it is, I think that what they exposed is what we're all fighting. The, the illegal wars... The illegal murders by governments, all for oil, all for all for profit, um, which is what's going on in Ukraine now. Same bullshit. I think that, and I think that we, you know, like you have the Great Reset. We need a people's reset. People really need to unite together, and they really need to change everything now more than ever. Or we're all going to become slaves to their systems. And the only way you're going to get that is from unity. And the West, or people of the West, we've had such degeneracy now, which is why a lot of people are converting. 
the, what alternative have we got? If you've got the Muslim community and you've got what they're offering, what is the alternative now? Because it's just degeneracy. Yeah, it's so weak. It's so pathetic. Yeah, and I think that we really need to really rebuild communities. We really need to rebuild our identities, and we need to definitely have unity. But that unity is going to have to come from everyone, because the only time that the government are going to be fearful, the only time the cabal are going to be fearful, is when they see those that dislike each other, those that have problems with each other, uh, standing together against them. Our enemy is the establishment. Of course. And um, so, I'll probably get put on some terror watching. <laughs> what do you Mad. think of uh, Elon Musk? Is he one of the good guys and one of the good guys of the elitist position? I don't know. I really, I'm too, too, I'm thrown on it. Time will tell, yeah? He has been amazing with his takeover of Twitter. He's been amazing speaking out and allowing stuff against Pfizer. I think he's had personal experience. His cousin's been made ill from the vaccine. He was made ill from the vaccine. Um, he's now seeing what they were all up to. Will he survive if he continues on that path? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of people just end up dead when you raise, whether you start looking at cures for cancer, whether you start looking at electricity, or you start you start challenging anything that is their profits, big pharma, anything like that. And they want control. And how do they use control? Through big tech. They censor, they know your movements, they know your every move. If he comes in and gives another platform for us, is it a ruse? I don't I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, Alex Jones. I like Alex Jones. I respect Alex Jones. Um, Alex Jones has, yeah, he, yeah, he, what he said was wrong, yeah, and that's what he said. Sandy if you say a thousand things, you're going to make a few mistakes. On the you're going to make a few mistakes. Be... But who do I blame for making that mistake? When they lie so much, when the government lies so much about so much, when there are definitely false flags or things that they let happen, when there are all these things. You don't know what to believe. There's no chance for journalism, though. If you're going to make a mistake and be penalised so heavily, I know if you've pounds. got a huge platform, then it's... But this is the problem. And he apologised, right? Yeah, if you've got a huge platform similar to what's happened, it's crazy. It's insane. He um, had apologised. So, yeah, I, I respect Alex Jones, and Alex Jones has been right about so much. So much of the things he called were going to happen have been right. As of David Icke's, so many of the things... Yeah. They, these people were destroyed. Their credibility destroyed. Their names attacked. They were slandered for a generation by politicians, by media. They were mocked. They were mugged off. As they, time goes on, and they're seeming... They, and when this all falls flat, because it's going to fall flat, it's going to be chaos, when this breaks the public are going to look to the people who have been telling the truth. They're going to look and trust the people who are telling the truth through all this. Of course. Which is us. And uh, what Our time is coming. Hopefully. What about <laughs> uh, Rishi Sunak? Obviously, I know he's not Muslim, but... He's just another Asian. globalist, Shiel. He's just another globalist, man. He's working for the globalists. But um, I know that... What, I read that you were... You did, did you like Boris? You were in favour of Boris? I like Boris's character. Okay, Boris. Boris had the opportunity to be a very strong leader. Yeah. He was a weak, pathetic joke, Good. and Cass, yeah, no. I guess his missus was running the place, wasn't she? Yeah, so, no, so it's pathetic. Uh, and, he but he had a massive opportunity. Yeah, of course. He could have been. He could have been. He could have been a great figure. As could Theresa May when she took over. She could have been the new Iron Lady. She had the opportunity to really address a lot of issues. The public are crying out for someone to just get in and deal with this crap. Yeah. Deal with the borders. Deal with all these boats coming in. Get them out of the hotels. Why are you putting them before British people? Why are you importing alien ideology? alien cultures it's crazy where the country's at breaking point everyone's so poor we don't need our taxes 30%, yeah but not even the taxes for that working men trying to get a hotel now 30% of the hotels are full straight away so the price of the hotels will go up. I, I went to a hotel the other day and um, yeah it, was, it must be used purely for this immigration there must be literally a handful of rooms for a normal Pete. hotel and it was crazy it was to be in there and it was uh, yeah scary uh, what about Mark Growley so do you, do you remember who Mark Growley is that's the copper who said yeah. I was out to do a terrorism or something well no he's the one who said you sort of helped instigate the Finsbury Park mosque thing, you know, is, um, 
I just find it insane. Absolutely crazy. Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan. I'll show you, send you my film. He's in it. Piers is um Piers knows what he's doing. He's a clever man. He blows himself up when he needs to blow himself up. But he's, he's very thought provoking, isn't he? Yeah. I don't think he's on any side things. No, he's not. He just makes it up. It goes with whatever yeah, he thinks. Of course. But he's on uncensored. Is his programme in it? Yeah. I'm the most censored person in Britain. He's too much of a coward to have me back on because last time I was on with him, he looked ridiculous, yeah? And he'll look ridiculous if I ever get back on with him again because he doesn't have truth on his side when he comes to debate. Anyone who comes to debate me on the issues I talk on, yep. they can't win. Like, I don't think I've ever lost a debate because, and I'm not, I'm not being big-headed in saying that, I have the truth on my side, they're fighting from a losing position. And uh, what about anyone who's still paying a BBC licence? Cancel it, man, because you're funding, you're funding the organisation to discredit yourselves, to... Um, to give you inf to to slander yourself, to attack yourself. So the BBC attacks us. Anyone who's normal, we're under attack by them. They're propaganda. They are pursuing to reach the biggest problem we have as well is the next generation because next generation are so confused through indoctrination from the schools, through the sexualisation of kids, all these different things that are happening. We're in a mess. The West is in, in a total mess. We need a revolution. It's crazy. Who even wants their kids at school at the moment? But like the, the stuff they're putting into the children's heads at school about this. You don't have to be of any sort of sex or anything like this. But I was just seeing the other day, I was seeing a girl talk about it, and she was a tomboy up until 13, 14 years old, and now she's completely not a tomboy in any given way. Yeah. But she wasn't getting into Like, right now, if she was like she, this, she had about baseball her, caps and just football shirts and stuff like this, I don't hate the thing. And 50% of them more autistic. The kids yeah, are changing. I say, a lot of children, you're so lost as a child. Like, I was all over the place as a child, heads crazy and stuff like this. It's so easy to influence people by planting these dangerous seeds in them. And it's um, it's confusing. And, and the suicide rates and uh, and the people who have had the operation and then don't want it. My old cameraman used to be the same. Yep. He would come a girl. And he'd become a girl. And when he got to 16, he just realised he's... He, and it took all the hormones, drugs, and then he just realised he's gay. And by that point, he's got big thighs from the hormones. Yeah. Pair of tits that he has to strap up every day to look like a boy again because he's just a boy, but he's a gay boy. Yeah, what about the, the rapist who's now been chucked into the women's jail as well? And now Nicholas Sturgeon's just done a U turn, isn't she? Fucking outrageous. Everything's outrageous at the minute. There's so many, it can frustrate you. So it's like, that's why, even when I sit and think, I've been tired at times yeah, and I've been exhausted and I just think, I don't know how much more of this I can handle. And then I see so much, it just triggers it. I just think, no, look what they're doing. Well, like I said, um, I take my hat off to a lot of the stuff you have done, all the fight, the freedom of speech and this sort of stuff. Like I said, I've got nothing against the Muslim or Asian community in any given way, but anyone who's sort of exposed grooming gangs is a saint in my eyes, um, regardless of where these grooming gangs come from, it doesn't matter. Thanks. So, I'd, uh, yeah, I take my hat off to you, and I'd like to obviously really thank you for your time today, Tommy. Um, I'd love to get you back on at some point. I've got a few friends who are really strongly opinionated Muslims who I'm sure you could have Get a, me on with them. You could have an excellent I'm up debate. for the debate. I think now more than ever we need more speech. Not less speech, we need more speech. 100%. We need people like that sitting around tables having a discussion, trying to find out who's right and who's correct on it in a controlled manner. 100%. Like I said, I've got two people who I've got in mind who are really articulate like yourself, so you'd be able to have a really good, proper debate with them. But um, I'll win. Well, this way, see, but back on to yourself. How can people support <laughs> you then? Obviously, we know you're back on Twitter now. The link's going to be below, guys. How can people support you? Have you did um, PayPal and stuff like this back open? What's your website, Tommy? Yeah, Books. PayPal banned me. I'm banned from everything. My banks have all closed me. But I work for a company called Urban Scoop. That's who produces the content. That's who manages everything. I just work for them. So if you go on and support Urban Scoop, you are supporting some amazing journalism from all of a team, a team of people who research, who uh, share the news and the content and create documentaries. What about website? Urban, just Urban Scoop. 
Amazon Group, Amazon um, Group on news. Your books, where can you my get, books, you can get, can get books. So most of the things I've just spoke about, well, all, actually, from all of them are in here. This one's still on Amazon. This has been bestseller number one bestseller three times. This one went to number three on Amazon, my new one, and they cancelled it. So this one, unfortunately, because it was selling so well, I've got 10,000 books and they're just sat in a room because they cancelled it. So no one can find it now. So if you want to get both of these, they're on, they're on www.trsilence.com. And it would help me out because I've got a room full of them. I were flying and then now all the profit from selling that book went in to buy more and they just sat there because they cancelled it. So And ironically, you can go on Amazon and you can buy Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, but you can't buy Tommy Robinson's Crazy Times. Crazy. Crazy. And obviously, so the best place for anyone who wants to reach out to you would be through Twitter at the moment. Twitter, Tommy Robinson, NS. Always and, my telephone um, anyone who wants to sort of donate or help to the cause, obviously get in touch with Urban Scoop or go through your Twitter. Go obviously. on Urban Scoop and there'll be a link at the top of my Twitter profile. There'll be support our work. You can go on there. And make sure you like and subscribe to this YouTube channel as well. Absolutely. Much appreciate. Any shout outs you want to give to any nearest and dearest or any of the Urban Scoop team? Or... Everyone who's standing for free speech. You know, right now, the most important platforms and the most important people are people like this channel, the ones who aren't, who aren't coerced and aren't controlled by big corporations and big, big money. Because they can still put content on, where they can sit on the fence and give content, whereas most of the others are controlled. From LBC are controlled, even GB News is controlled. Yeah, then GB News, I know from the presenters, they're not allowed to mention my name. Yeah, So that's meant to be the free speech platform. There's all these different free speech things, which aren't actually free speech. So go past all of them, the big corporation media. Reach out to the smaller ones and, and help build them up. So anyone watching this, give it a share, give it a like. Join the platform, share the content, and subscribe. So again, much appreciate your time, no, Tommy. Thanks. And until next time, thank you very much. Cheers, man. Thank you.